0: Listening to Grace City Portland. We're gonna jump into the scriptures. We are going to study the Bible this morning together. I'm gonna do my very best to to lead us in that process and preach to you. Um, we've been doing that by working through a series of teachings that we've simply entitled the classics. We've been looking at all of the classic Old Testament stories. In the Bible, if you grew up going to Sunday school, I did. I didn't actually personally meet Jesus, experience what a transformed life is um, upon giving my life to Jesus and trusting him. So That was much later on in life, but I did grow up uh, going to church that was just what my parents did and I'm very grateful for that but I heard all these stories being told in the Old Testament Noah and the ark the tower of babel David and Goliath etc cetera, etc cetera. really good stories I would say for the majority of my life had no idea how deeply significant these stories really are in terms of our understanding who is Jesus who is the god of the bible And what is the story of redemption that he wants us to invite us to be a part of? These stories, they're rich, intense. Some of them are like, whoa, shocking. Um, But we meet the living God of the Bible in these stories. So that's what we've been up to for the last few weeks. I believe we're up to part six this week. And the story that we're going to be looking at is Crossing the Red Sea, which basically kicks off right around Exodus 14. So if you brought a Bible, this would be a great time to crack it open. Feel free to grab one out of one of the boxes in the central aisle here. Those are always available for you. And um, let's get into it. i like to pray for us just once again before we look to God in his word. a Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You are our teacher. We'd ask that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds this morning. Lord Jesus, won't you reveal yourself to us as we look to you? Father, as we look to your word, I pray that we would know your very real and transformative presence here among us, because we are here to meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, we're going to cover a significant amount of ground this morning. At one point, we, we will skip just a little bit because it goes into some, some pretty intense detail. And simply for the sake of time, we're going to... You'll notice we might skip a couple of verses along the way, but, but we're going to get the essence of the story. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people... That is Israel... Had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us, let them go from slavery. Verse six So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. That's a massive army. Verse eight, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Some translations say proudly. Others say with hands held high. The idea is that they were defiant. They were leaving. Verse nine, the Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by pi-hahiroth. In front of Baal, Baal Zephon. Let's pause there. So you may recall. Um, if you were here last week. Or you're just simply familiar with uh, Moses. If you were here last week. You recall we talked about holy moments. And Moses who had attempted. Rather uh, premature and failed revolution in Egypt trying to set Israel free from slavery. They did not receive his invitation to deliver them. In fact, they chased him out of the country, went out to the desert where he met a girl and ended up working for his father-in-law as a shepherd out in the desert for 40 years. Then at the right time, God revealed himself to Moses and sent him back to Egypt. And he said, Moses, I'm going to use you to set my people free. And so he does. He goes back to Egypt. He brings Aaron with him, who's a cousin, kind of brother, and uh, two of them together confront Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptian empire. Of course, initially, Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not gonna let my slaves go, your people, my slaves. I've never even heard of this God, this, what did you call him? I am Yahweh, no, no, no. I'd like to see you try it. And so thus begins the plagues. God with a mighty hand begins to intervene and demonstrate exactly who he is. And we read of the 10 plagues. It all sort of culminates probably over a period of four to maybe six months, a bit longer. These plagues, one by one, God systematically takes down the Egyptian gods, the so-called Egyptian gods. By the 10th plague, by the climax of this sort of series of plagues, Pharaoh's like, right. We relent. If we don't, we're going to end up all dying at the hand of this god who's clearly more powerful than all of our gods put together. And so, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. So, they, they give us some specific detail. I need us to see this. You may, have, you may have a map in the back of your Bible. You may be aware of this. But this is actually rather important to the story this morning. So let's say about here is Egypt. Um, now Moses was supposed to get God's people uh, through a mighty act of God's power, lead them, deliver them out of slavery, and bring them back to Mount Horeb. Mount Sinai, where they were to worship God. Um, that mountain, would, we don't, no one knows exactly where this, this mountain is, but let's, let's say it's, it's, it's over here someplace, okay? Egypt's there. They want to get away from Egypt over to the other side. Now, up here someplace is actually the land that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what will eventually become known as Israel, Around here, apparently, are the Philistines. Um, And then down here, something like that, we have the Red Sea. Now one would think that Upon leaving Egypt, God would have led his people, um, perhaps around the Philistines, maybe this way, maybe this way, uh, quick stop off at Mount Horeb, pick up the commandments, straight shot up to Israel. <laughs> that's, that's what I would have done. Instead, God leads his people straight into the wilderness into the Red Sea. Of course, it says that Pharaoh and the Egyptians, after they had realized what they had done, they pursued. And so what ends up happening in effect is that God leads them into a corner. Up here, they've got the Philistines. Egyptians have pretty much surrounded them on this side, and they've come to a smack dab dead end at the sea called Red. Now, some of you may, may be aware of uh, a bit of the debate going on around this. You know, where exactly did God lead them? Um, you know, if you read a few commentaries, you'll find out that in fact, the Red Sea, um, literally translated, should be read as the Reed Sea. So some hypothesized that in fact, well, if it was the reed seed. Perhaps that was a reference to the marshland up at the tip of the eastern arm of the Red Sea, and so that would make sense because it's much easier to just walk across marshland full of reeds rather than God somehow miraculously splitting the waters of a proper sea and leading them through dry land. Um, Of course, it could have been translated as the reed sea. It could it could have also been the weed sea, the sea of weeds, the seaweed sea, which would be more uh, a bit more like an actual sea. Whether they crossed up here, here, or honestly, is besides the point, because what the scriptures are trying to communicate is the fact that God led them into a corner. He delivered them out of Egypt, set them free from slavery, and led them straight in the wilderness. In fact, if you read a little bit of the details, what you'll find is that they kind of doubled back a couple of times. They wandered around here. And it was almost like God was just timing it right so that by the time Pharaoh realized what was happening, his perception of the situation would have been like, ha, the Israelites are lost. They're trapped in the desert. Here's our chance. Let's bring them home. So God sets them up. He literally leads them into a corner. Before we move on, let me just ask you, have you ever felt like God was leading you into a corner? Have you ever had that experience? Like I could tell you a hundred stories. It typically begins with like, yeah, like someone shows up, you know, God's got a plan for your life. You, you know, what you think is so good and fulfilling, uh, you know, whatever your your sin of choice might be, let me tell you something. God's got something way better. In fact, God can set you free. And you're like, yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. So it, where, where are we going? How are we going to do this? Well, just... Follow God. Okay, we're going to go this way. And somehow you figure that out and we stumble along and you get people to come alongside of you. And before you know it, what started out as like, dude, we are victorious, we're singing songs, breaking chains. All of a sudden, did, did God take a wrong turn? Because it feels like deliverance has somehow morphed into I am like trapped in a corner. Closed in, enemies all around. This doesn't quite feel like the freedom I had anticipated when I chose to follow Jesus. Anyone? Okay. Yeah, okay, good. So if you're like, "Oh no, this sounds super weird," I don't know. Just follow Jesus. Just just follow Jesus, and you'll experience it. Guaranteed. This is just this is how God rolls. So into the corner. That's that's what we're we're looking at. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Next slide, please. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, that's interesting. They cried out to the Lord, but they really said to Moses, is it because... There are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, let's just let's pause there for a second. Okay, so what's happening? People are freaking out, right? They're doing what any of us would do when you feel like you've, you've made this bold decision to trust God in some way. And next thing you know, it's like, well, God just led me into a, like a dead-end alley to die. Like, I, I'm not, and you begin to doubt whether or not you ever even felt, heard, experienced God for real in the first place. And all of a sudden, you think, man, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but life was way, way better, simpler, for sure, back in Egypt. Yeah, sure, I was a slave. But at least I, I, I knew what my life was all about. At least I knew where I was gonna get my next meal. Like, I, I had some sense of control, and now, we're gonna die. And to be honest, they didn't, even, I mean, I don't think the Egyptians had any Intention of just killing them out in the desert. They wanted to bring them back to Egypt. So it's interesting to sort of like peer into the psyche of a panicking people. And this is, guys, this is classic humanity. This is, this is what we do when all of a sudden we feel like I trusted, I was vulnerable, and now I'm trapped. And now I'm freaking out. And now I'm doubting whether or not I ever heard God. Oh, and who was the guy who was... And we turn on our leaders. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people. Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today. You shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. Moses. He's presented as a leader in the scriptures as like the, the most unlikely leader. I mean, from day one, he's got a violent temper. Um, apparently, he's, you, know, he's in his 80s. The first thing he says to God when he meets him at the burning bush and says, "God so I, I want to use you." He's like, "Who am I? I, I can't even talk right." And God says, mm-hmm. Don't worry, I'm going to be with you. And yet here we see some quality leadership. Perhaps I would argue Moses like best leadership moments. Like, let's give him credit. What does he do? He doesn't argue. He doesn't get anxious. He doesn't try to blame shift or defend himself. Like all of the normal things that any person or leader would do when you feel like, hey, look, I just put my neck out for you people. Okay, I gave everything to do what God told me to do for you. And yeah, I get it. This looks like insanely impossible. But he doesn't say any of that. He simply says, Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. Guys, that's quality leadership. It's not about Him. Thus, He apparently has no need to defend Himself. He quickly shifts the people's attention back to God. Fear not, stand firm. God is still God, He's going to do what He said. Just stop freaking out. Just be quiet. I love that. That is good leadership. Let me make this little caveat before we go on to the next portion of scripture. Um, If you aspire to lead, which I think is a very noble thing, whether at your work, uh, in your family, uh, certainly in the church, your community, politics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think the world needs more leaders—leaders leaders with integrity, uh, leaders with courage. If you aspire to lead, let me put it this way: if you love God, and you've ever thought to yourself, "I'd love, I'd love to lead people in a way that actually reflects the Father heart of God." I'd love to lead like Jesus. Because he was a great leader. He was a servant leader. He wasn't on an ego trip. He wasn't a a sociopath. He had nothing to prove. He wasn't trying to get something from people. He came because he loved a world. He laid down his life to save people who honestly did not deserve it. People like me and you. If you aspire to lead like Jesus, if you aspire to lead people towards God, towards his plans, towards his agenda for a broken world, it's only a matter of time before the people you're leading will look around and think, where on earth have you taken us? Guys, let's get them. In fact it's a fairly good sign that you're leading well. When people start to like freak out and want to point the finger at you. It may be because you're just a rubbish leader. That's possible. And you need to like, just, I don't know, get help, get mentorship, read your Bible. Um, so that, that's a possibility. Or it could be that you're leading really, really well you're leading with courage, and you're not simply trying to appease people, because oftentimes that's the temptation as a leader. You're just trying to keep the peace. Just want everyone to be happy, you want everyone to get along, and God's like, look, no. No, I didn't come just to keep the peace. Okay, that ended a long time ago. The world is at war. I'm trying to bring my people out of slavery, not just my people, but my agenda is to set the whole world free, to restore creation, to redeem humanity. That's where I'm going. That is going to take a little something more than just simply appeasing people. Just being a nice Christian. Who? Where did we ever get to that? Like, <laughs> I'm just a nice person. Oh, cool. I'm a Christian, too. What? <laughs> it's great. Let's all be nice. Can we agree to that? Let's all be nice people. Let's not lie. Let's not cheat. That would just be great. We'll all be good humans in that way. God is doing something a little bit more, and He wants to lead us and even use individuals, utilize us and the gifts that He's given us to lead people to a better place, a greater place, a place full of freedom, a place where we have been set free to love like Jesus. And that's that will, yeah, that will take leading a bit like Moses in this instance. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? (laughs) I love that. What are you crying about? Just, I like that. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. So he does that. The pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire moves around to the other side. Uh, It keeps the Egyptians at bay. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. I would argue that that's fairly good evidence that we're not talking about crossing through a marshland. This is something much more miraculous. Um, Verse 23 The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Let's keep going. And in the morning, the morning watched, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces who had followed them in and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. Who's panicking now? Verse 25 clogging their chariot wheels, they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, again, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Let's stop there. So... I realize at this point, some of you might be getting caught up on the miraculous. I remember a few weeks ago when we were looking at the stories of Noah and the ark, and I, I sort of gave my little my, my disclaimer at the beginning it's okay if you're not a Christian, if you have objections, that's totally cool. Please feel free to voice them, et cetera, et cetera. And someone actually did that. Um, my man comes up and he's like, dude, thanks for the talk, good speech, but here's my problem. Uh, how long did you say it took Noah to build the ark? I was like, well, you know, 100 plus, give or take. And he's like, yeah, no, that's impossible. Scientifically, human beings cannot live past 120 years. I'm like, bro, you think that? I've got a few more. Let me tell you about Methuselah, right? (laughs) Like, like, there are miracles in the Bible. Methuselah lived to be like almost 1,000 years old, Right? And, if, you know, there's things, you know, maybe scientifically, sort of like better air quality, like longer lifespan, what, you know. I don't know what to tell you. If Jesus conquered death, if Jesus rose back to life, the God we're talking about, the God who is revealing himself to us in our life, in his word, He's a, a miraculous God. It doesn't mean everything is like just this weird, unexplainable, mysterious thing, and we're just these sort of like magical people that are trying to live in like the dark ages. And wait, wait, this is not a science versus anything uh, thing. This is simply the fact that the God who created the universe, who established the laws of nature and physics. He is a miraculous God. Occasionally, he'll intervene. He'll heal people. He will miraculously set people free. He'll even speak to people. That's a miracle in itself. He'll change hearts. He'll split seas. I just want to acknowledge the fact that I know for, you know, in our sort of, our modern thinking, this, this, is, this can be a real obstacle, um, I don't think it's super helpful when people come along and try to, like, explain it using, like, applying, like, pseudoscience sort of argumentation. And you're like, ah, oh, that's a nice try, but you've made it worse. All right? Like, I would suggest let's humble ourselves and say, look, if God is God... We're not talking about the idea of God. We're not talking about God as like a philosophy or a worldview. If God is God, who is God despite whatever I might think or feel, if God is God, then, yeah, I I suppose it is his prerogative to do supernatural things. Does he do it all the time? Hmm, Not in my experience. I, I wish he would do supernatural things more often. I do suspect there's something about um, our, our culture that makes it very, very hard for us to experience those things. I think it might have something to do with, with our our intellectual pride, maybe lack of faith. I don't really understand it. But if you travel a little bit, you go to some other places around the world, Asia, Africa, etc., cetera, um, yeah, it, would seem, it would seem like God is... I was doing all sorts of supernatural things. I was living in the UK for a few years. I have a ton of Nigerian friends. I remember one day having a conversation with my buddy, uh, Dre, or, or Adidire. And um, I'm talking about praying for people, for sick people to be healed. And uh, I said, man, I, I wish God would move more often. We were talking about it. And he laughed at me. He said, Simon, you should come visit my family in Nigeria. You should, come, you should come with me and just hang out in, a, what's the capital of Nigeria? Say again? Thank you. Lagos. Lagos, Nigeria. You should come hang out in Lagos with me for a couple of weeks. You might want to take a break from the supernatural after that experience. There is no objection. There is no hang up. There is no confusion. Is the supernatural real? Oh, it's real. Like just, It's just real. Like the good and the bad. It's all real. And I don't know, maybe, maybe we need to get out more. Okay, that, that, was, that was a, a tangent. <laughs> okay. Couple, couple tangents, tangent upon tangent. It's a red sea, it's a sea, God split it. Here, here's what I think really stands out, and this is what's so important for us. This is really a, a leadership sermon is what it is. Moses he intercedes for the people. He's acting like a priest in this instance. Everyone's panicking. He turns to the people. He says, fear not, just stand and trust God. And I can imagine some of the people just getting angry. It's like saying, hey, just have faith. Like, okay. And people will get angry. Have faith. And then God says, now extend your hand and Pray command the waters to part. And God splits the sea, and people begin to walk through. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, he says that the splitting of the Red Sea was a prototype for salvation. As Christians, as a believer in Jesus, there was a time when I was baptized, not in this baptismal, in a different hot tub. I was baptized and I went into the water with Jesus. This is a picture of salvation. This is a prototype for deliverance in Christ. And here you have a priest, just a man named Moses, God says now pray and I will split the waters and the people begin to walk through the sea. As they get to the other side, the Egyptians are chasing them. Now, I had the awesome privilege of leading a young man to Christ a couple of weeks ago. And um, funny, one of the first things he asked me is like, "When can I get baptized?" We, we totally can do that. But the first bit of advice that I gave him, we were down at Starbucks and we were walking back here. He's a part of our church. He's he's not here this morning. And uh, and I said, "I got to give you some advice." All right, this, this might sound weird. But this is the first bit of advice that I'd like to give you as a brother. The moment you said yes to Jesus and to his freedom and committed to following him with all of your life. We talked a lot about what does it mean Jesus is Lord and Savior. The minute you decided to do that, you had an enemy that began to stalk you. Egypt followed Israel into the sea. Just because you've made Jesus Lord doesn't mean the past 20 years of your life and every demon in hell that's been stalking you, owning you, up until this point, all of a sudden it's like, oh, all right, sorry, my bad. You with Jesus, okay, cool. Like, nope. They're going to come running after you desperate. It's like what Jesus said. When a, when a devil is cast out, It's a bit like cleaning up house. What does he do? He goes, gets seven of his friends. He says, look it, I got kicked out. I got evicted. I was squatting, got evicted. We got to take this sucker back. And so they come back full force. This is what's happening. This is the picture, spiritually speaking. So then God says, Moses, I want you to lift your hand again and pray that the waters would be closed This is spiritual warfare. Oftentimes I think, I'll speak for myself, I pray so hard for people to meet Jesus. I pray so hard for like, breakthrough in my personal life. I can remember one of the hardest seasons of life, one of the hardest times I've ever prayed in my life is when I was needing, I was wanting a wife. I was 32 years old, still single, love the Lord, was beginning to suspect that God just was mad at me or something, withholding from me this good thing. I prayed hard for many, many years. And finally, God blessed me with a beautiful wife. She's downstairs. (laughs) My wife's amazing. If you know her, you, you know she's incredible. Let me tell you something. If I thought... I needed to pray my butt off just to get a wife, that's nothing compared to how hard one needs to pray to keep it together. That's real. It's one thing to experience deliverance. It's another thing to walk it out. Moses, again, gotta give him credit. He screws up a lot. But in this moment... He's acting like a really good pastor, like a really good leader. God says, pray that I might set my people free, that I might deliver them. They pass through the waters. And he says, now get that other hand up and pray that the enemy would be held off. But th- this is, um, you can't help but think of when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. If you know it, pray, pray with me. He says, our Father who is in heaven Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debt or our sins as we've forgiven those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Lead us not to temptation. That's Yoda speak for God. Take us to where you are. Wherever your kingdom exists, wherever the values of your kingdom are being lived out, take us there and deliver us from evil. Lead us in the way, lead us into life, set us free. Take us into the the, the promised land and deliver us from evil. When you're praying for your life, when you're praying for your family, your future marriage perhaps, your business situation, your relationships, guys remember, this is the picture. We're praying that God would set people free and at the same time we're resisting the devil The writer of James says to submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he must flee. This is the picture when Jeremiah led God's people back out of exile to rebuild the city. And it said that they were commanded to keep a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. That they would build and be on guard. That they would pray people into God's promises and freedoms. At the same time pray against the works of the enemy in Jesus' name. This this is a call to prayer. This is being led not into temptation, but being delivered from evil. And let me tell you, if you're like, gosh, I've been praying and praying and praying, and I feel like I'm just falling. I had this, this sort of prophetic picture as we were worshiping. If you feel like God has led you here. And you're panicking. Someone needs to look you right in the face and just be like, like calm down. Okay. You're actually not going to die. And don't be a fool. It was so not better back here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. If you're a leader, then I believe God would say to you, get your hand up. Pray. Pray deliverance over that person you love. Pray freedom. Pray breakthrough. Pray salvation over your family. It might might take more than a night. But pray. And then begin to push back the other way. Pray deliverance. If you have crossed over and you're like, why are things not easy over here? You know, it's it's ironic. Um, It says that, when Israel left Egypt, they were equipped for battle. you got to go to the end of chapter 13. They were actually ready for battle, and they marched out defiant, defiantly, leaving Egypt in their dust. It's quite a picture. Equipped for battle, defiant. Yes! Uh, we are free. Our God is bigger than your God. Ha, ha, ha. And you could tell, like, there was a bit of, I mean, okay, I'm reading into it a bit, but there was this sense of like, yes, we, we got this. We have been set free. We're ready. And God, would, it would seem, God wanted to make the point very clear that that is not how they were going to make it into all that God had planned for them. Very, very, very first lesson. The only way you're going to experience the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan to redeem the world and to set you and I free is by realizing that you are not strong enough. And God is. And he's so incredibly faithful. Jesus is our victor. He is our champion. He is the one who breaks chains, sets us free, keeps us free, and utilizes us, our lives, to do it for others. If you feel like you're failing, you're trying to follow Jesus, and you're failing and you're failing, get your hands up. Begin to pray both ways. At first, it may feel like you're falling, I'd want to say to you, cry out to God and you realize that you may not be falling but you're actually flying in Jesus' name. The scriptures say that he lifts us up on wings like eagles. That when we are weak, he is strong because his power is made perfect in our weakness. God leads us into corners. He frustrates our defiance to show us that where he's taking us, we are not strong enough to go. But if we'll be still, if we'll look to him, if we'll trust him even when we are panicking, he will fight our battles and he will set us free. Let's go to our last section, and then we'll be done. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. And all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked in dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of their oppressors. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord And they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. You know what happens next? Verse 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang a song to the Lord. Isn't that fantastic? They worshiped in song. And the song's written right here. It's powerful. I will sing, quote, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. It's a victory song. It's what we sang this morning. Our song is the song of victory. It's the great paradox of Christian freedom. In the name of Jesus, you are free. It is finished. Jesus has won the victory on the cross you are free and yet there is more freedom to come he leads us in victory we experience an increasing level of his freedom his life as we become more and more like him as we trust more like he trusts as we know our father as we obey our God like Jesus Father thank you for the good work that you've done here today. Thank you that you're always perfecting the good work that you've started. And I pray that as we leave here today, we would be conduits of your love and your grace. Lord, the freedom that you've granted your children would be shared across the city in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, don't go anywhere. Hang out. Drink the coffee. Get prayer. Come forward if you'd like to to receive more prayer. And, And if you've not registered for the Focus Weekend camping trip, get on it. See you next weekend. Love you guys.